Good morning. Welcome. We're so glad to be together. I'm Sarah. This is Micah, and we're the pastors at the Vine Church. Hey, welcome. Uh, thanks for joining us today online. We're so glad that you chose to tune in. Uh, wanted to remind you, let you know also, we are meeting in person now. Um, we're wearing masks and follow, following the, the guidelines, and uh, that's been a little bit challenging. But as you feel comfortable, we are as safely as possible, really enjoying getting to see people and be together again. Uh, so you are invited anytime you'd like, and we have uh, something new coming up as well. Yes, um, we are starting a walking group. We're going to start on Thursdays at 9.15 this week, meeting at our church building here in Pasco, and we're going to just walk out to the park for about an hour or so. So we just want to invite you to come join us, totally low-key and casual, just a time to connect and get outdoors. And that'll be weekly, right? That'll be weekly for the next three weeks, and then we'll reevaluate from there. So hope you can join us this Thursday at 9.15. All right. So today we continue our series in the mission of God. And let me give the backstory as we get into it today. In the beginning, God created, and what God creates, it is good. And humanity uh, was to play a central role in um, the life of God. Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden, and in time, however, uh, they, uh, for whatever reason, in pursuit of power, knowledge, freedom, or, or who knows what else, humanity set out on its own path. And so the remainder of the biblical narrative uh, describes a God who is on mission, a God in pursuit of restoring relationship with his beloved creation. In the Old Testament, we read of God's covenant with a man named Abraham, whose descendants would become the Israelite people. God makes makes his covenant with the Israelites uh, for two purposes. One, that they would shine like a light to the nations. And two, that through Israel, uh, the blessings of God would flow into this world. Now, though Israel often lost sight of um, their purpose, God was abundantly faithful. So to fulfill that covenant and to usher in a new era, uh, Jesus was born into the Jewish nation, and in him, uh, newness came. Jesus spoke of the mission of God in terms of the kingdom of God, and uh, this seemingly upside-down kingdom, it operated in entirely different ways than the kingdoms of the world. In this kingdom, in the kingdom of God, there's blessing and opportunity for the poor, the weak, the hurting. It's a kingdom of peace and of hope. The kingdom of God is not far off, Jesus says, but it is coming into this world. Now, uh, last couple weeks, we looked at Jesus, uh, the final week of his life, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, and now something new begins. Here comes the Holy Spirit in the beginning of the church. So this week, as I was reflecting on community and just in general doing life with people, I was reflecting on how often our differences are highlighted. Micah, we've been married, what, 17 years mm -hmm. now? Something like Some, that. Something like that. 17 years. We've had no differences, right? No. Yeah, totally. No, no differences whatsoever. No. Actually, yes. <laughs> um, but I was reflecting on how sometimes our differences are highlighted for instance, um, the thermostat, what, what temperature we think the thermostat should be set on. My hunch is if you've um, shared a household with anyone, that question has come up um, mm -hmm. and many, many others. It's so interesting how sometimes our, 
there's these silly little differences that can actually cause people to argue or, 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 or have rifts in a relationship. But isn't it true that when we do life with people, our differences come to the surface? Even if we have so much in common, sometimes it's our differences that are just really challenging. Yeah, and so we're going to look at that today. Uh, we're going to look at the first century church, and that's a pretty big topic, right? So we're going to do just a, a brief overview as we as we look at the first century church, and we're going to look at the purpose, uh, the means by which it began, the Holy Spirit, uh, and we're going to look at some of those differences and the diversity that was trying to come together and some of the challenges that the first century church faced. And what God did to bring them together. I love it. So in Acts, it tells us the story of Pentecost. So Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, he told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem. And he said, the, my power will come on you. The, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so in Acts 2, we read the story. There's, there's a sound of rushing wind and there's these, um, something that looks like tongues of fire that come and rest on the disciples' heads. And in uh, Acts 2, starting in verse 4, this is how it's described. All of them, the disciples, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. So there's a large crowd right now in Jerusalem because it was the festival of weeks. It was 50 days after the beginning of Passover. And many, most of these people were of a Jewish heritage. However, many of them had grown up and lived in other places. And so culturally, they'd experienced different things. They even spoke different languages. And when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, there's this fascinating thing. Um, the, the disciples began to preach about Jesus as the risen Savior, as the Messiah, and the Holy Spirit empowered everyone to hear that message in their own native language. And I think this is so beautiful and so significant because the miracle could have been that everyone understood the same language and then the disciples, you know, were speaking um, the same language and everyone understood it. But instead, the miracle was that the message of Jesus was understood in all these diverse languages. So the church has begun. Thousands of people baptized, commit their life to Jesus, our risen Savior. Wow, this is exciting. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we get this beautiful, like, utopian description of everything was perfect. People were passionate. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Um, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. So we see this beautiful description, right? People are passionate. They are excited. They're caring for each other. But um, the church uh, was more than just a social club. It had an incredibly important purpose as well. And the purpose was that the 
first century church was to be agents of God's mission in the world. In Acts 1, verse 8, this is what Jesus told his disciples. says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will come and you will be my witnesses. You will be agents of God's mission. And this is what we've heard from the beginning of, of this series, what we've been looking at, how God wants to work through people to bless the whole world, that God continues to work through people for to accomplish his mission, which is that of restoration and redemption and healing. Now, were they perfect? Was the church perfect at that time? Absolutely not. And we're going to we're going to see that. But regardless, God calls the church to be agents of his mission. So Sarah mentioned earlier, uh, these Jewish people that had come to, to believe in Jesus as their savior, they were from all sorts of different nations. So there was a little bit of diversity, but there was this commonality too. Uh, at this point, we're reading of a Jewish church, right? Okay, now in Acts chapter 10, the story begins to shift, and it's a significant shift as um, Peter is led to go and meet with a Gentile, that is a non-Israelite person, um, uh, named Cornelius. And through this interaction, go back and read that story, or we've, we've even uh, preached on it recently, um, Peter uh, meets Cornelius and his eyes are open to the fact that God is bringing about something entirely new. What currently is uh, Jewish people saying, Jesus, this Jewish man, he is our savior. Well, his sacrifice and God's intent, the mission of God extends far beyond Israel, in fact, to the whole world. So a new era opens up as the church now begins to open up to people from other nations, people of entirely different cultures. And in Acts 15, we see that this is really challenging as the church in Jerusalem, kind of the head church, they um, they sit down, they have this council to explore what are we going to do now that Jewish people who had once been segregated from other nations in really distinct and intentional ways are now supposed to be meeting as one church with people of all different nations. And the determination of this council is that we cannot impress all of our customs and all of the things that we hold dear onto all of these other people, these other Christians, mm -hmm. but instead that the church will have to adapt where the spirit is leading it. You know, I have to chuckle as I hear you talk about that because how often does that happen to us where we have this aha moment and realize that the spirit is moving and we're just behind. Yes. We, we haven't caught up. And this was the first century church catching up to what the spirit had been doing. Um, so the community of Jesus goes from being mostly Jewish to being this multi-ethnic movement. And it was countercultural and it was hard and it was challenging. Um, in, in Antioch, a church was established there. And that's where the believers were first called Christians. And it was established by Hellenistic Jews, meaning Jews who spoke Greek. And so these Jews who spoke Greek preached the message of Jesus to, to, uh, to Greeks. And a whole bunch of people believed and a whole bunch of diverse people came to that one church and started meeting together. In fact, it's from the church in Antioch 
that Paul then is sent off on his missionary journeys, which Paul um, himself declares himself a apostle to the Gentiles. So as he travels, he goes first to the synagogues, but then he always also preaches Jesus to all the nations. Now, I'm sure you can imagine um, or catch a glimpse of the challenge that the church is facing in this moment. Uh, the Jewish leaders of the church are now having to distribute um, authority and distribute roles to different people. They're trying to gather in homes uh, when they have very different customs mm -hmm. and ways of gathering. Uh, I just want us to catch a glimpse of the very real challenge that we all believe in Jesus and Jesus uh, and the Holy Spirit is leading us to oneness, to unity. And yet we are coming from mm -hmm. very, very different places here in the first century church. You know, that a very tangible example of that is the food mm -hmm. that we eat when we're from different backgrounds. As many of you know, I grew up in Guinea, West Africa. And so I've had the experience of eating all sorts of food. Um, one, one instance really stands out in my mind. Towards the beginning of rainy season, we had just a, a handful of days um, in Guinea where this, um, what we called flying termites came out. I don't know if that's exactly what they were, but that's what we called them. And it was kind of this exciting, fun thing for, um, I'll get there. Yeah, exciting <laughs> for, and fun. For uh, the teenagers, because what um, my friends would do and what they invited me to do with them was they would go and they would catch these flying termites. And they were easy to catch because they flocked to the light. And, and there was just so many of them. So they would catch a whole bunch of them and then they would roast them over an open fire. And I remember when they first invited me to, to join them in this annual festivity, I was like, I'm not sure I want to be included <laughs> in this. I'm not sure I want to be invited, but I did. And you know what? They were actually pretty okay. <laughs> they were totally flavorless. Um, all you could taste was the crunch. So think of like a chip without the saltiness and just the crunch. It wasn't so bad. I don't know that I want to think about that too much. So here's the challenge the first century church is facing. And food is one of the major yes. challenges. What is appropriate to eat and how will we gather and eat together? In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, Paul is writing um, to a church and he's trying to explain to them uh you know, how they'll navigate some of these challenges. Mm -hmm. uh, he starts with this. He says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. <laughs> for your meetings do more harm than good. Okay, oh. so from the utopian uh, description of the church in Acts mm -hmm. 2 to now 1 Corinthians, we see there are some major growing pains. We, the, the, the first century church is really struggling, doing more harm than good. And he goes on in verse 20. I'll jump ahead to kind of explain why. He said, so then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for you are eating... Um, uh, for when you are eating, some go ahead with their own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those that have nothing? So here Paul is really highlighting um, the socioeconomic differences within the church. And we have to kind of get into the context here, the culture, to understand how this is being highlighted. So the Lord's Supper at this time was a shared meal in which they broke bread and they drank wine and they remembered Jesus. It's not those little packets? <laughs> no, not the little individually wrapped okay. packets no? okay. that we use during COVID. 
um, it was a shared meal. And so people as the community came together where they're wealthy had more time available. So they would gather earlier and they had more food available to them. Mm -hmm. And as you can imagine, the poor and the slaves who had come to believe in Jesus had to work long hours. And so they would come to the meeting and then end up having to go hungry because they didn't have the same privileges that others did. Well, and you mentioned the slaves. This was a time when slavery did exist, and though some would argue it looked a little bit different than the slavery that we've known in America, uh, nonetheless, it created a incredibly challenging uh, interaction or, or um, issue for the church. Uh, think of slaveholders and slaves supposed to be sitting around a table with equality and opportunity, equal opportunity. Uh, the church was facing some incredibly challenging things. So how will the church find unity in, in, in this time? This diverse community was incredibly countercultural and was incredibly challenging um, in so many ways, the gospel, the good news, the message of Jesus promoted um, equality among ethnicities and genders and socioeconomic status. However, we see how the early church struggled with this. That we we can see the cultural and the social clashes as you know they talk about the food, they talk about um, social status, who's included, who's excluded. Um, how do we treat? our fellow believers with a different background. And it's important to realize as we read scripture, as we read about the first century church, we're not reading about this perfect church um, that had it all figured out and that everything was perfect. Rather, we're reading about a people who are really struggling. And yet God, through the spirit, through Jesus, was doing incredible things, drawing them together. And there was reconciliation and healing happening, happening amongst the struggle, amongst the mess that they were in. So um, the, the kind of diversity and the integration that was taking place was incredibly challenging. There's no question about that. But in diversity, there's also beauty. And so we've been we've been talking about food. So I'll mention one more food <laughs> illustration or idea. We make um, one of my favorite things to barbecue is skewers. Um, and so we, it's chicken, uh, onion, bell pepper, and zucchini is usually mm -hmm. what we put on them. And then we marinate the chicken and olive oil and and salt and all that. And uh, each of those four elements is really tasty. I love it. Um, but I'm a little bit neurotic when I eat this meal uh, because I love this meal when I taste all four at once. So I'm slicing everything up really small so that I can get all four things onto a fork because when those four flavors come together, man, that is everything. And here in the first century church, we see the major struggles to figure out how will we work together. But when diversity uh, experiences the unity that is found in Jesus, it can be a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. Absolutely. In Ephesians 2, starting in verse 14, it, it speaks of Jesus destroying the barrier 
between the Jews and the Gentiles, because that was the big, the groupings of the day. Um, and it speaks of Jesus destroying the barriers, destroying the dividing wall of hostility, making the two one. And I want to read for us, uh, starting in verse 19 of Ephesians 2, because because Jesus has destroyed this barrier, um, this is what verse 19 says. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So here you have these two groups of people who did not associate, who did not identify as belonging together that Jesus has brought together um, here. And, and I love the language um, of fellow citizens. Hey, you may be from different places, but you're fellow citizens in God's household. And then the description here that um, they're built together to become a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. Often we think of the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as a personal thing. And that's, yes, absolutely. The Holy Spirit dwells within us personally, but also the Holy Spirit dwells within us as a community. Mm. Um, the community itself of Jesus is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And this only happens if Jesus is the chief cornerstone, which means everything is centered around Jesus. Okay. First Peter, um, in, in first Peter two, Peter goes on to kind of explain a little bit more about this unity and this opportunity, uh, that is the church. He says, um, he addresses this letter in, in, uh, chapter one to all sorts of churches all throughout the region and the world. Uh, that means churches of different cultures and different languages and all this. So he, he addresses the letter to a very diverse people and he says this to them. But you are a chosen people, all of you, all of your differences. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received Mercy. I love this picture of the church. He says, once you were not a single unified people, but in Jesus, you are now the people of God. This is how Peter speaks of the church. Diversity uh, is, uh, is allowed, is encouraged, and yet there is oneness found in mm. Jesus. So as we look at the first century church, we see that the first century church was a diverse people who struggled, who struggled to be together. However, they were unified with one purpose, and that purpose was to be agents of God's mission of reconciliation and healing in this world. And that reconciliation and healing, yes, it's between humanity and God, and also it's between people and other people between groups of people. God's mission is reconciliation and healing. And the, the first century church was invited to be a part of that. 
Hmm. So what do we take from this? What, what can we grab hold of like for the week to come? And, it, you know, part of it is just the knowledge and the understanding mm-hmm. of what God was doing in the first century and how it relates to the mission of God. But I do think um, one thing that I want to hold on to for the week is um, learning to or being intentional about recognizing and leaning into diverse mm-hmm. into the diversity that is the church. God has built into this thing we call the church all sorts of diversity, nuances, different people, different places, different cultures to come together and to find unity in Jesus. And so our diversity, our differences, they can either divide us or they can reflect the beautiful diversity and complexity that is God. And we're going to keep talking about this as we, uh, in the weeks to come, look at church history as we, as we talk about us as the Vine Church and how we're going to participate in the mission of God. So we're going to keep talking about this. We did want to share a song with you um, today on this topic, and we've shared it before in mm-hmm. the past. It's by Jesus Culture, and it's called Make Us One. And it's such a profound message simple Simple. so Mm -hmm. so profound make us one lord let your kingdom come and make us one this is how we are to be witnesses of jesus to live live in community as one do do you realize what we demonstrate to the world when as a church Mm -hmm. we can come together despite differences and our diversity creates just a beautiful depiction of God's mission in this world to, to people around us. All right, let's pray as we close out today. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time and an opportunity to dig into your word. Uh, thank you that it is recorded for us that we can know the story of the first century church, uh, the ways you are working through humanity, through your church to accomplish your mission. God, thank you um, that we have been adopted into this people, your people, um, that we get to be a part of the continuing story. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you have a great week. Bye.